Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to listen. We wanted to start this episode with a disclaimer. We interviewed another international guest this week, this time calling from Uganda. Because of the distance, the audio is at times unclear, but we think it's worth it for you to hear his experience from his words. Trust us, you're going to be amazed by this story. Here it is. listening to season three of Seeking Refuge, a podcast sharing human stories of refugees. This week, we are examining the situation in South Sudan. In 2019, 2.3 million people from South Sudan fled the country. The conflict in South Sudan has a long and confusing history. It started when the country was ruled by the United Kingdom in the late 19th century. With the North accepting English practices and culture and the South rejecting it, the two regions developed very differently. When the country gained independence from the United Kingdom in 1956, the cultural and religious differences between the North and the South made it difficult for peace to be made. When Northern Sudan attempted to impose Sharia law in the South, conflict erupted, which led to over 2.5 million deaths and 5.5 million others displaced. In 2011, South Sudan gained independence. However, this peace did not last long. In 2012, the president accused the vice president of planning a military coup, which has led to extreme violence, making this one of the biggest humanitarian crises in modern history. Today, we are speaking with Tony Fritas and Moses Andruga about their work and experiences with the organization called Reach Global in refugee camps in Uganda. Thanks so much for being here today, Tony. Can you just give us a description of what you do? What I do is... uh community development by training up leaders in, uh, in churches and communities and helping them to identify the resources they have in their communities, to identify those resources, and then to use those resources to solve their common problems in the communities where they are living. An opportunity came for me to do some work in South Sudan, so I grabbed that opportunity and uh, went to South Sudan and started training up these people who had been living for 20 years in refugee camps. The conflict in South Sudan has had a major impact on the civilians and has led to the country becoming one of the largest refugee crises in the world. As of July of 2018, there were around 2.5 million South Sudanese refugees. This number is expected to rise to 3 million by the end of this year, if the war continues. In addition to this, 1.9 million South Sudanese are internally displaced. Within the refugee population, over 60% are children. It is estimated that over 7 million people are in need of humanitarian assistance. These refugees are fleeing to neighboring countries, with 45% in Uganda, 30% in Sudan, 18% in Ethiopia, 5% in Kenya, 4% in the DRC, and 1% in the Central African Republic. Most of these refugees live in camps. So can you describe the scattering of people to the surrounding areas just in depth? Yeah, no, I'm happy to, to explain some of that. As, as the war broke out, um, many of the people uh, had to flee and they had to go into other countries where they could feel like they were safe and get into the refugee camps, which were there. They just had to get to them. The government didn't want people to leave, so they wouldn't let people cross the border to go out for any extended period of time. You could only go across with a bag and you could not take a suitcase or anything that even appeared to make you look like you were going to be staying in that area for a long period of time. One of the guys, you know, his experience was that he needed to leave and um, he had to leave the country, spending a lot of time hiding in the grass and hiding in bushes and and working his way towards the border until he finally got on board of a Coca-Cola truck and hid between pallets and, and got across the border in the back of a 
Coca-Cola truck, open top, open side Coca-Cola truck that he hid between the pallets um, and was able to get out. But that's common. I mean, that's there's stories like that all over South Sudan of people who had to either swim across the Nile or whatever they had to do to get out of the country. And some of the people, I mean, it was so chaotic that some of the children even got left behind. And uh, some of the people that I work with took in some of those children and then reunited those children with their parents in the refugee camps when they could get out of the country in the refugee camp. So they had to leave, not only trying to get out of the country without being noticed, but taking somebody else's children to their family, you know, and trying to do it in a, in a very discreet way <laughs> so that nobody would really notice what was going on or that they were taking their kids back to their, you know, children back to their mom and dad. It was ser- It was what you, you know, what you hear and what you have seen and what you might even read is not even gonna be close to experiencing it, experiencing it and being there on the ground and even talking to these people and hearing their stories. So because you've been, you know, you've been to those camps, what do they look like? The easiest way to describe the camps is if you were to imagine flying over a very desolate area, very few trees, a lot of dirt, a little bit of grass, and then uh, you were to create a grid in that dirt and the grid would be the roads, just like we have here for city blocks. And the refugee camp would be broken into segments. So if you entered the refugee camp, you would talk to the camp commander, tell them who you're visiting. And because they have the grids, they could tell you what sector they're in and what block they're in, which would be their the block just like we have here. And then what plot that they're on at that point. So they're put into different plots where they can build their homes and live in the refugee camp. But the homes do not come with the refugee camp. You know, a lot of times we think that they set up tents and they do all these things. They don't. What does the leadership in the camps look like? Like, are they government run or through the UNHCR or through the churches that you worked with? UNHCR the government, all of the above. Churches don't really have a lot of say in the uh, organization of the camps or even running the camps, but the the UNHCR is also is definitely, a, they play a big role in it. They provide food for the people and they take care of issues, disputes within the camp. Concerning children who are in those camps, is there any education provided for them or is it just kind of up to the parents? The education is primarily um, put together through the people within the camps. Uh, Some of the people staying in the camps, the refugees are school teachers. And so they just need a venue in which to teach. And a lot of the people that we train create the venue and create the the network that they need to build what we would call a school. You wouldn't think it was a school if you were to look at it, but we call it a school. And uh, they bring education to the students that way in, in hopes to keep them up to date. So you mentioned the training for South Sudanese refugees. What specifically did those trainings consist of? Back in South Sudan, we were helping them to identify those resources like I was talking about. Um, One of them is, uh, like, let's just say, finding things that you can use to purify your water. Um, So you had water purification, sanitation, alternative fuels, education, all of the things that they would need to build a healthy community. We focused on that in South Sudan and created what we like to call a stable, healthy community um, in many places. And then during the civil unrest, they all left and went into the refugee camps, taking a lot of what they learned into the refugee camps, which is what they're doing now is teaching those same things in the refugee camps. And so I come alongside them and also help them train those, uh, the communities in those, in those places. 
I was wanting to know how this leadership development within the churches has impacted the refugees that remain in the Ugandan refugee camps, just based on your experience. In a lot of ways, um, because they're they're teaching them uh, how to expand their farming skills uh, for agriculture, helping to teach them how to do things like sewing and, and setting up tailoring opportunities for these people to make clothing or whatever it is. In fact, some of our guys, when this COVID came out, this whole COVID thing happened, a lot of our guys actually got together and started making masks for the people in the community, which opened up the doors to all kinds of things because the government was very excited that they were willing to help. And so now the government comes to them and says, hey, can you help us to do this? And can you help us to do that? And so really opened up a lot of doors for um, the guys that I work with and and the women I work with to have uh, visibility within the government, which has been really, really cool. That was Tony Freitas with Reach Global, talking about the work he has done in South Sudan and the country as he has experienced it. Remember that man that Tony mentioned? The one who snuck across the border by hiding under the pallets in the bed of a Coca-Cola truck? That man is our next guest, Moses Andruga. Here's my conversation with him. Yeah, um, nice to talk to you at this time. Um, uh, I am Moses. Um, I'm a South Sudanese. I am born in, in 1973 uh, in, in Uganda, and uh, uh, my parents took me back at, at, at the age of a baby, and then uh, I stayed in South Sudan for five uh, years. Another war broke, and then we came back to Uganda, and then we stayed for about 20 years. Uh, again, we went back to South, South Sudan. We stayed only for about uh, 10 years again, this conflict between the president and the vice president broke out. And uh, uh, again, we're back here. Can you just describe what it's like for people who are fleeing South Sudan? Right now, for people in South Sudan, first of all, food is a major issue now. Food is a problem. Even security is not good. So it's, it's not easy to stay. People in the villages, are uh, not there. A lot of them uh, took refuge in, in Uganda. So can you just describe to me, what was the political climate like when you fled South Sudan? The issues were uh, the government got uh, split into two, the president and the vice president. After the, the, the six years of peace agreement, there was the issue of uh, uh, transformation of government. This did not go well for some of the guys in the government, and then they ended up dividing into two. The army is divided along the tribal line of the larger ethnic group, which is Nuer and Dinka, and they started fighting. And the armies, the government army, has turned into like they are not a government army. They go into homes and beat people, and uh, they they think now people are supporting the other uh, part of the government. Can you describe maybe like? what the education system looks like? You know, how has it been affected by the conflict? Do children have easy access to education? Before this conflict and before this war, people have started to put together uh, opening schools under the tree, schools in the city. A few well-built schools are there. Even the villages, people started putting schools. Uh, The education system, which was there, was not even up to date. Now, the war made it worse. Right now, with the war, there is actually nothing. What is the infrastructure like in South Sudan? We have a, we have one tarmac road that is from Uganda border going up to Juba. That is the only tarmac road. We have uh, uh, some secondary schools. Uh, some are well built. Uh, very little is uh, improved, so it's not 
enough to uh, make people really feel and access whatever they need in terms of infrastructure. Um, and then I'd like to get your insight as to what healthcare is like there. Um, you know, is it difficult to get medical assistance or are there very many well-maintained hospitals um, in most areas? Medical care system is very, it's, it's not, let me say it's not there because uh, the war has made it complicated. And especially in the village where I come from, even the hospital, uh, the house, the buildings, the, the iron sheets were removed. And even the schools, the school buildings, the iron sheets were removed by those armies that are left uh, rumoring, uh, moving, wandering around the villages. So this has left all the infrastructure uh, uh, not to, to do nothing, only walls and uh, no roofs, except few that are in the city. At least they have uh, some few, but even it's not up to date. What was your personal story leaving South Sudan? How did you flee South Sudan? When the, the army started coming, uh, being deployed in different villages, on the highways, and uh, when they started to enter the homes of people, blaming men, be rebel, and uh, they started abducting people, taking people and killing people, and uh, it has become difficult. So we, uh, including myself, we have to go into the bush, uh, stay there for some days to find ways. Uh, thank God our homes are closer to the, the border, about uh, less than 100 kilometers. So we have to walk over the bush to cross the Uganda. And now can you just... Tell us a little bit about your current career path. I just work with the church because even before I was in South Sudan, I work with the, with the church. We do church planting, training. We get people and uh, we give them training with those of Tony. Um, and that is what we are continuing to do. Uh, but for, for survival, uh, my wife had a small uh, tea room where she, she sells coffee, people drink, and some food. That's what uh, we do for survival. Can you tell us a little bit about church planting and what that consists of? Uh, church planting is a program that we do. It's known as a community hope. Uh, we are trying to uh, educate community on uh, health and development, uh, relief, and so that the people can take responsibility of their, their own needs to meet uh, the needs with the local available uh, resource. We do it in the name of church planting, but we train people on community issues. That is why we were able to even to start a local school with the community under the tree. That is the major things we do. How have you personally seen the impact of church planting on certain people? It has impacted my life greatly because go, growing in this kind of situation of war and uh, living in, in a refugee camp and going back and coming forth, has left has left my life with nothing. I feel like there's nothing. So the community hope training has helped me to know that uh, I personally can do something. It might be hard to hear Moses at times, but what he's talking about needs to be understood. He paints a frightening picture of lacking healthcare, education, and infrastructure in South Sudan. He tells us about an army that is abducting its own citizens and of thousands fleeing each day with nothing but the clothes on their backs. He explains of how he escaped the country, hiding in bushes for days before traveling to the border. Moses tells us about what life can be like for those who have left the country and how desperate their situations are. 
He works on building churches, which also serve as a place to teach people about health and aid community development. So far, they have been able to start a local school. Moses tells us why these things are so important. Growing up in an area of war and then having to escape and live in a refugee camp had left him with nothing. No home to go back to or community to connect with. Building these churches and aiding communities in their development has created a purpose for him and his wife. These relief and development efforts are essential to creating hope for people in these dire situations. That was Moses Andriga and Tony Freitas talking to us about the South Sudan refugee crisis. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us in the comments below. If you'd like to get in touch with us, email us at seekingrefugepodcast at gmail.com. Follow us at Seeking Refuge Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for all the updates on our show. As always, a huge thank you to Maxi International House for making our show possible. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.